Welcome to Your Family and Your Retirement with Abe Ashton. I mean, we live in a country of where we get to argue over the silliest stuff, Abe, and I'm going to do that right now with you. We do argue over the silliest stuff, right? Exactly. For instance, generic versus name brand items. Some folks are very picky about certain items being a certain name brand. Anything come to mind in your household or for you specifically that you must have a name brand on? Oh my gosh, it's it's the battle of my marriage. Oh. I am embarrassed to say that I am a name brand guy. You know, of I everything? just I, almost everything. Even I, I, I listen, I have been known to eat once in a while, and, and this has got to be a very dark time in my life, but once in a while I will eat the fake Malto Mill Lucky Charms, okay? <laughs> There's no little leprechaun on the front. It's in the plastic bag, and I'm humiliated as I sit there and I chomp, and I'm like, I should just eat this with water. It doesn't really count as cereal. <laughs> oh my you know, god! So, so that that does happen once in a while. But for example, Advil. Okay. My wife is happy buying the ibuprofen yes. bottle, and I go for the Advil. You know why? Because they're sweet. I can suck on the outside of them for a second and feel like I got a tasty treat. And then, you know, but I do. I I typically go for the name brand items. Even when my wife in the store will hold up both things next to each other and say, look at the ingredients. (laughs) It's the same. They are identical. I'm like, this one has a shinier label. (laughs) That you oh, pay $2 more for. You are giving in to marketing, Abe yeah. Ashton, and I am so disappointed in, in you. Sorry. But, you know, actually, there are a couple of things that I don't care about name brands. I mean, ketchup, that's something I don't care. Name brand of prescriptions is a great way to save money by going generic. I'm sure a lot of our listeners are in tune with that. You know, there's that generic rule of thumb when you talk about generics that whatever amount of money you're spending right now you'll need about 70 to 80% of that after you stop working. That's not a personalized percentage. That is a generic percentage. Right. But an article in Investopedia says that some people find they actually spend more when they quit working. So do we believe the generic advice? Is it right? Oh, no. You never believe the generic advice on that, on the financial information. In fact, just before we got on this show, I, I was just sitting in with a lovely woman who is 76 years old who lost her husband in, in just in the last couple of weeks. Mm, sorry and they've been that. they've been a client for, for a couple of decades now and and really, really just good people. But one of the first questions I ask as we're looking over death claims and beneficiary forms and what types of changes in income that are going to occur to her, this is really the kind of the crux of your of your question is how much will her income needs change? Mm-hmm. And she's losing her own social security and picking up his. So she's losing her thousand dollars a month and picking up his $2,000 a month. She's losing a couple of little pensions. And she says, yeah, I just don't anticipate spending any more, probably less now without him. But I'm looking at her account balances and she's got several hundred thousand dollars sitting there. Hmm. And I'm saying, well, let's turn on some additional income from these accounts. This is why you've saved these. And she says, no, actually with what I get from social security and we were putting money away in savings every month. Now, that's one example of, of one family and, and how frugal they were. And she says they still traveled. They still did what they wanted to do, but they had lived on a budget their whole life. And that's what's interesting is that most of the time, the people that have the biggest balances are those who have lived frugally their whole mm-hmm. life to create that balance. And then they don't automatically change because of a birthday at 65 right. years old where they say, now it's time to throw caution to the wind and go on first class trips everywhere, you know, and spend $5,000 for a first class 
class ticket to Europe or whatever that might be. They still live frugally in retirement. And those people, you'd be surprised to know, end up barely ever even touching a dime of the principal they saved for retirement. Hmm. That's good insight because you're sitting down with people every single day that are near and in retirement and you've been doing so for many years. So you definitely have your finger on the pulse of what happens in real life with all of these retirement generic pieces of advice that we see online. And I got one that's really going to get you, Abe. Okay. Uh-oh. Uh-oh. Listening here in Southern Utah, for our listeners, what do you think the realistic age is for you to retire comfortably? Think about that for a second because the folks at GoBankingRates.com did some generic number crunching. (laughs) Assuming that you've been saving regularly since your early 20s, they say that folks here in Utah can reasonably expect to retire at age 53 with a nest egg of about $815,000. What do you think about this generic number crunching? I buy it. You do? I buy, I buy it. Yeah. Now, that's, that's certainly anybody would hear that and say, wow, that's an early retirement. But there was a key factor there, right? Which is you start saving in your early 20s. And I often talk to people who are right in the middle of beginning their families in their early 20s and start saving for college. Their retirement accounts aren't necessarily the first thing on their minds. And so what happens is, is that typically, from my experience, gets delayed about a decade okay. where they start. And now they're in their 30s and sometimes young 30s where they think, OK, I've really got to participate in this company 401k plan, or I've got to be contributing to a Roth IRA. And so that pushes it back to 63 years old, which would still be considered early retirement for the purposes of social security. But do I meet with people who have retired in their their mid fifties? I do. And again, it comes back to if they have enough money where they can confidently look themselves in the mirror and say, I can retire as a 55 year old or whatever they are in their mid fifties. It's because they have made some pretty strict budget decisions up until that point. Hmm. And so they can confidently assess their retirement income needs, even though they're going to have a a period of time to bridge higher income, right? Because a 55-year-old won't have Medicare yet, which means they're self-funding health insurance. Mm -hmm. A 55-year-old won't be ready for Social Security, even early Social Security for another seven years. And so they may have to bridge and take some more money out of retirement accounts in the first few years. And then hopefully it will take less pressure off of those retirement accounts once they have Social Security and stop paying so much for, for health insurance. But those healthy habits that help them amass that type of money, that $800,000, will only benefit them and pay dividends just in their kind of social financial behavior as they move on into retirement. Find out more at AshtonWealth.com. Any comments regarding safe and secure investments and guaranteed income streams refer only to fixed insurance products. They do not refer in any way to securities or investment advisory products. Fixed insurance and annuity product guarantees are subject to the claims paying ability of the issuing company and are not offered by Retirement Wealth Advisors.